identify as a unicorn? Are you unhinged? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Unhinged Unicorns. <laughs> All right, welcome to another episode of Unhinged Unicorns. My name is Josh and I am your host. I'm here with my co-host, Steph. How are you, Steph? I'm good. I'm so excited for us to be recording again. It's been a while. You do realize when you just wave at the camera without saying anything that the people who are listening <laughs> can't see you. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, well, to the people who were only listening, um, you should go on YouTube so you can see our faces. I like to look at facial expressions while listening to words i do as well but some people like to listen in their car so you know that's we, true we like to uh we're all encompassing we, we invite anyone who wants to listen in any capacity to listen to our podcast i want the listeners know that during the time that josh said hey steph i was waving very voraciously at the camera yes you were <laughs> Yeah, I was. So we haven't Thank recorded you. a new episode in like a month at least. Um, and I wanted to kind of update you, Steph, and the audience on what's been happening. Because the last episode that I did post, um, I got very vulnerable and talked about what mm -hmm. I was going through. And it was, I was in kind of a dark spot in my life. Um, yeah. This, In fact, this whole summer has been a very challenging summer for me but it has come with some really important lessons and um some very valuable lessons and so i just wanted to talk about that a little bit in the last episode i was just talking about my living situation because i had just moved uh this was like at the beginning of july i had just moved into a sober living house and when i moved in there i was ready to make a lot of changes in my life and I had been living out in Plant City, which is uh, probably, what, 30 minutes outside of Tampa. And yeah, I was living the boondocks. Yes. Out in now, 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 now land anyway. Um, <laughs> but I was living by myself. I did not have any roommates. When I moved out there, I did have a roommate, but he had moved out. And so I was just living by myself. And. When I'm active in my food addiction, it's very easy for me to isolate. Regardless of where I live, it's, it's just very easy for me to isolate. But living that far away from my network and the people closest to me and working from home, it really just made it very easy for me to isolate. So I was only getting out of the house maybe once a week, sometimes twice a week, but you know, I would pretty much just stay at home all the time. And I was acting out in the food behaviors and right before I moved, I had started kind of doing better. You know, I had gotten a food sponsor. I was being accountable with like sending photos of my food uh, to people. And I, for like three weeks there, I think I did pretty good. I mean, the food wasn't perfect, but it was certainly way better than it had been. And then I started going through, um, some stress. My air conditioner stopped working. And oh girl. Uh and it was like beginning of summer, like beginning of July in Florida. It was very hot. And I lived in this little single wide trailer 
which is basically like a tin can. Um, <laughs> and it was just brutal, you know? And so it was just a tin can of heat. It was, you know, you were there, you came over. It was brutal. Yeah. I was really just desperate to get out of that situation because the landlord wasn't working to fix it. And I could not deal with that heat. So I moved into this sober living house thinking that it would be number one, it would be good for my recovery. I felt like it would be a good opportunity for me to kind of get back on track and back to the basics, you know, and my hope was that living in that environment would give me the structure that I would need. Plus I would be closer to all my friends, you know, because I moved into the like Tampa area. So I was closer to the meetings. I was closer to my friends. But when I moved in, I discovered that it was infested with rats and it was horrible. It was really, really bad. Like, yeah, I, I finally caught one of the rats on my stovetop. Like I set a trap because that's where I saw it. I saw a rat jump into a pot on my stovetop. And I was like, oh no, I, we can't do this, you know? And then I was like afraid to cook because I didn't want to catch a disease, you know, like it was just the whole thing. Yeah. Your bread, like loaves of bread were just like bitten into. And yeah. I remember you were like, uh, you were like a paranoid Paul there for a second. I like was. you're like the rats. I can't like your eyes were wild. And like, cause it, it is like really, um, it's not fun having to be on the lookout for rodents and shit, like roaming around your house. And that was not a part of the deal, uh, when you agreed to live there. And, um, so that quickly became, um, a deal breaker. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I talked to the landlord about it. I did not get the response that I was hoping for. <laughs> it was pretty much like, well, yep. that's normal for these old houses. <laughs> uh, just get some traps. And I'm like, well, I've been setting traps and it's not working. And so anyway, long story short, I decided that it was time to move. So I had two opportunities that presented themselves. Uh, one was a woman that I go to church with. And she had a room open up and offered to let me room there. And I went and looked at it and she's just, uh, just the sweetest woman. She really is. Um, but it just, it was a little far away. She lived like an hour outside of the city. And I felt like if I did that, it would kind of put me back in that same situation that I was in before being really far away from my network. And so um, I did not take that opportunity, but my friends ended up doing an intervention on me and it was mm -hmm. very uncomfortable. And they sat me down and basically read letters to me. They had all taken time to write out these big letters and just talked about, you know, how much I mean to them and how much they care about me. And they said all these really wonderful, nice things, but then they also expressed concern for me because they've seen me acting out in my disease for a long time, you know, and, um, it was really uncomfortable in that situation. You know, I, I walked in, I sat down and they all just basically surprised me with these letters and part of me wanted to get up and walk away, but I also wanted to acknowledge what they were saying and what they were feeling, you know, because I don't know if you can relate to this at all, but when I'm active in my disease, I don't always realize how my actions affect other people. 
And I don't always realize that what I'm doing to hurt myself also hurts other people Mm -hmm. because they see me, they care about me and they are powerless over that, you know? Um, And they see me hurting myself. Yeah. You know? And so it was really uncomfortable to hear them read their letters and to express their concern. But it was also, in a way, it was really nice to hear that because it showed me just how much they care. Yeah. So with that intervention, an opportunity came about for me to move in with one of my friends who has an extra room. And so I jumped at the opportunity, you know, because several reasons. Number one, it gets me, you know, more ingrained in recovery around people who are in recovery and it gives me accountability in the time that I've moved in here. I've been out of my house almost every day, you know, going to meetings in person, um, going and doing things, going to the beach. Oh my God, I have a story for you. Can I tell you this story? (laughs) Yeah. I went to the beach. I'm not going to say which beach because I don't (laughs) want to be banned from this beach, but we went at night and, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, there was a full moon. It was like a blue moon or something. I don't know. I, I don't keep up with that, but it was a full moon and my friends wanted to go for a nighttime beach experience to go see the moon. And so at like 1030 at night, I drove my ass out to the beach. It took me like 45 minutes to get out there. Right. And by this point here in Florida, everything shuts down early. Like all the restaurants and everything closes like around nine or 10. So it's like 1030 at this point. And I'm almost to the beach when all of a sudden I start feeling like the bubble guts going on a little bit, Yeah, you know, and I'm like, Oh, we may have a problem here. Yeah, <clears throat> But I'd been to this beach before. And I, for some reason I was thinking that there was a bathroom at the beach because, you know, sometimes they'll have like showers where you can like wash off if you go swimming or whatever. Well, there was no bathroom at this beach (laughs) and I got there and I'm like walking up. So the way that the way that the parking lot is set up, you park, there's these two condo buildings that are like side by side with a parking lot in between and they have some public parking there. And then there's beach access from the parking lot. So I had parked in the public parking and I was walking back toward the walkway that goes across to the beach. Cause there's like sand dunes and you got to go across this little walkway thing to get out to the beach. So before I even crossed the little walkway, I'm looking around to see if there's a bathroom, right? Cause there's like a little <laughs> shower station there. And there are these, these two benches, one on either side of the walkway and <laughs> there's no bathroom. So by this point, the pressure was building. <laughs> and it was physically we, and emotionally we had reached defcon 5 it was <laughs> too late to go back and find a gas station it, it we were almost to the point where i was like going to have to go find a spot on the beach and just do the unmentionable but it was the full moon we were out there celebrating the full fucking moon so the light was bright <laughs> and i didn't want to go take a dump on the beach so understandable i'm looking around to try to find a spot where i can go and do this horrible deed the dirty yeah (laughs) and 
to my left of this bed, because I was sitting on the bench at this point, I was sitting down and clenching every muscle that I have in my body, like enough to where I gave myself a Charlie horse in my leg because I was clenching so hard. So I look over to my left and there's a bush and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, this may be the spot. But I didn't want to commit until I had a chance to kind of investigate, right? So I get up and I go look over at the bush and I'm like, okay, it seems a little secluded (laughs) over here. I think I can make this work, right? But remember, I told you I'm between two condo buildings and they've got balconies. And so I'm concerned maybe somebody was out on the balcony. I didn't want anyone filming me or whatever, you know, or like calling the cops on me. So I'm looking up at the building and I'm looking over at the other building and I don't see anybody. Right. Well, then I go and I check out the bush and I I see that it looks somewhat secluded. Well, as I'm checking out the bush, this couple comes walking through to go to the beach. So I jump on my phone and pretend to be on my phone. I'm like, oh, yes, I'll be there. (laughs) I'll be there shortly. (laughs) I'm almost there. So. So I let them, they walk by and they go out to the beach. And so then I'm all paranoid, you know, because people just walk through and I don't want to get caught taking a dump at the beach. Naturally. Yeah. I mean, I have some (laughs) (laughs) self-respect. Yeah. So I look around again. I, I double check the balconies and I'm like, okay, coast is clear. Now's the time. Because if I didn't go now, I was going to die. Like, I was going to explode. The time is now. It was now. So, I go and I back up into the bush. I back it up. (laughs) I back it up into the bush. I pull down my pants. And, um, Steph, it was a crime scene. (laughs) scene It was a crime scene happened. It, um, I don't want to get too graphic here. No, please do. Okay. Have you ever had the consistency where it's somewhat liquidy, but then mm-hmm. a couple of pieces come out like pow, 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 and they're like <laughs> solid? Yep. Yep. It yep, was yep. like that. It was like a liquidy cannon. <laughs> yes. I, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> it was just a lot. A lot happened. That poor bush. Let me just tell you. So then... I don't have anything to wipe myself or clean clean myself up with. I was just gonna ask, like, where where are you gonna clean your asshole? Well, there was no, there was I, there was yeah, there was nothing to do that with. So <laughs> I right. I just pulled my pants back up, and I start to emerge from the bush, and another couple comes walking through, and this time <laughs> I couldn't grab my phone to pretend to be on. I was sweating at this point. A lot had just happened. So you gave birth. I gave yeah, I gave birth. I absolutely did. It was a water birth. I gave birth. <laughs> yeah. I it was terrible. Was it a boy or a girl? We don't know. It was an unmentionable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I emerged from the bush sweaty. <laughs> I had, like literally had just pulled my shorts up. So I'm a whole hot mess. Uh, things are squishy. It was just it was yeah. not yeah, it was not appealing plus you're like walking on a beach thing i would have been miserable i would have wanted to leave immediately and that's precisely my thought so i I called my friend because they were there at the beach already 
So I called my yeah. friend. And I said, I'm so sorry. I will not be able to join you tonight. Um, I just had a, I just had a moment at the beach. It is a crime scene. I would avoid it at all costs. Yeah. And so I started, I left, I got my car and I left and I was on my way back home. And my friend called me and was like, no, just come back to the beach. Just go in the water, clean off. It'll be fine. And I'm like, I don't think I can do that. I mean, it was, a, there was Were a your lot. shorts already ruined from like pulling yeah. them back up. Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. So it's like, what would you, you didn't have any extra clothes, right? No, in your I was car? not prepared for this. No, it was, <laughs> it was an accident. You did not, you're, so you're saying you didn't plan this? I didn't plan to shit myself at the beach. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very yeah. unexpected. So they convinced me to turn around and come back to the beach and just go in the water and take care of things. So I did. So I go back to the beach. I go take care of all that, get cleaned up. And in the end, it was okay. But I just, I haven't been back to that beach yet. And I'm just concerned because either that bush is going to be dead or it's going to be 67 feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, that tree is going to be. The tallest fucking tree to ever grow. Like you fertilize that shit literally with literally, your shit. And totally. it's going to be a, a man. It's like, I don't know if you've seen Lord of the Rings, but listeners, if you have seen Lord of the Rings and those giant ass talking old, old elder trees from the Lord of the Rings yeah. movies, that's Josh's tree that he birthed. I did. He gave birth I did. to a tree. I just kept thinking though, like, what happens the next day, right? When the sun, the, the hot Florida <laughs> summer sun <laughs> beats down upon that bush. <laughs> well, you know what my thoughts are is please this. enlighten us. The the condominium minimum condominium mini minium. Um People are going for their strolls, right? And they're like, they see the pile of shit. <laughs> I hope they don't. I it was somewhat secluded. Well, let let me say this though. They take into consideration that, oh, Paul, it was the full moon. He's like, Yeah, you're right. So they know some crazy shit happens on the full moon. Literally. This could have been a part of some kind of like secret, sacred ritual that we no. do with our witches. No. <laughs> there was nothing sacred about what took place at that beach. Not, not one bit of that was sacred. <laughs> so did you end up staying with your friends or you're like, no, I'm, I'm going. I'm uncomfortable. No, I went back and I ended up getting in the water and I, okay. I cleaned myself off and yeah, it turned out to be fine. I even saw a shooting star. <gasps> oh, I love that. I know. It was magical. Shooting stars. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, there's a shooting star. Did you wish upon it? I did. I said a wish. I can't reveal to you what That's the wish cool. was. No, you can't because then it won't come true. Exactly. Yeah. But I was very excited. And then I started singing, when you wish upon a star. star. I don't know the rest of it, but anyway, it was, Me neither, it was beautiful. My voice was terrible. No, it's lovely. I think you should bless us with your talents more often. 
Oh, like my, my singing talents? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Go for it. And I will always love you. That's the first part where she sings, where it's all gentle, like, and then oh, skip right. to the next verse. Skip to the, blah, I want to hear blah. the powerhouse part. The, Go the for powerhouse it. Like, you, know, part, okay. you, know, you know the part I'm talking about, where it's like, douche, and I. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you, you do the douche okay. for me. <laughs> I'm going to douche for you. You ready for it? Thank you, okay. Dad. Yeah. <laughs> Did you just call me Daddy? Please don't ever do that again. Okay. Um, I'm going to douche for you now. <clears throat> <laughs> Are you ready for it? Get ready. Yeah. Here it comes. I'm ready. Okay. Dush. And I, I will always love you. Oh, yes. And I will always love you. Oh, no. That was beautiful. Oh, yes. <laughs> we cannot oh. we cannot put this on the internet <laughs> this will hurt people i i disagree i disagree i think we should absolutely put it on the internet <laughs> it's harmful put a warning like headphone warning listen you know it is no more harmful than what i did to that bush <laughs> you know what? We both committed some crimes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, but I did also want to share with you something else that happened. Something actually, and I'm, I'm going to get serious for a second because this is like really profound. So I have been taking a class uh, through the, uh, the spiritual center that I attend. And it's been all about they called it the summer of soul magic. And so we've done a couple of book studies and it's been a really, really interesting class because it's opened me up to just a bunch of different ideas that I hadn't considered before. And it's ironic that all the chaos that I described that I've gone through over the last couple of months, like, I feel like I'm really grateful. Number one, that I was taking this class while all of that was happening, because it gave me an outlet to be able to try to look at what was happening from a spiritual perspective, which is really hard to do when you're in the middle of a, a really uncomfortable situation like that. It is really hard to look at the spiritual lessons that can come from that. And before I go any further, I just want to acknowledge for anyone listening, I, I understand if when you hear the word spiritual or spirituality, if you feel the walls going up, when I talk about that, I understand that. And I just want to acknowledge that for a second. But I also want to say this, that I, let me just give you a little background about my own experience with spirituality. I was raised in a cult, like truly, truly a religious cult. Um, I was raised to believe that the church that I was raised in was the one true church and that all other churches were worldly and that if I attended any other churches that I would go to hell, it wasn't the true salvation, right? Um, yeah. So I, 
have a lot of religious trauma that I carry with me and have carried with me for a long time. And then throw in the fact that I'm homosexual on top of that, you can imagine that I've had my fair share (laughs) of religious trauma. And I know that I'm not alone in that. And I know that there's a lot of people, especially in the LGBTQ community, who have also shared similar experiences. So when I talk about spirituality, I want you to understand that it's coming through the lens of someone who has experienced religious trauma and has, despite the fact that I have struggled with coming to terms with my sexuality, I have still continued to search for some spiritual meaning in my life outside of, you know, Christianity. Um, And I'm not here to comment one way or the other on, you know, any particular type of religion. I just know that in any faith, there are people who use religion in a negative way to hurt other people, which is unfortunate. And I have been a victim of being hurt by that. So if you're feeling uncomfortable by the conversation, I understand it. And I do ask that you kind of, hang in there with me, you know, and, and hear me out. I'm not trying to force any kind of opinion on anybody, but I would like to open a dialogue about this. So having said all of that, I've been taking this class. I found this spiritual center that teaches a philosophy called new thought or science of mind. And what they teach is at the basics of it, it talks about the power of positive thinking or the power of thought and how all thought is creative. And when I say the word creative, I'm not talking necessarily like arts and crafts, although it can be, but I'm talking more of what we think we then create. Right. It sounds like manifestation. Yeah. It's like manifesting. So if I get, if I'm living in fear and anxiety, I'm going to manifest a life that's full of fear and anxiety. And for a lot of us, we get stuck in fear and anxiety, which leads to lack, this feeling of lack, right? Mm. It's not good enough. I want more. But I'm stuck in this place of not being grateful for what I have. I get stuck in a place of fear of doing something different. And so what happens is the cycle continues to happen over and over of the same experiences happening over and over. Nothing ever changes, and I don't ever get out of that. So the philosophy that I've been learning about here is turning the negative thinking into positive thinking through gratitude and forgiveness. If I operate in a place of gratitude and forgiveness, that is like a high-level vibration. And if you believe in the source, some people call it God, some people call it spirit, higher power, whatever, if you believe in that energy source, and if you believe that that energy can flow through you and out into the world to other people, the way to allow that to happen is through gratitude and forgiveness. But if I'm operating in a place of fear and anxiety, it almost like acts like a block and it blocks that energy source from coming through me. So instead of spreading love and gratitude into the world, I'm spreading gossip, Mm. hate, anger, you know? So it's been a big lesson for me um, because I can complain with the best of them. I am a gay man. I can whine and bitch and moan and complain (laughs) with the best of them. So it's been a challenge for me going through some of these experiences that I've gone through 
to learn how to find the gratitude in it. You know, it's hard to find gratitude when you've got rats in your walls. Yeah. So anyway, I wanted to tell you about this class because I had this experience that like changed my whole perspective about my eating disorder. Yes. So I've had an eating disorder my whole life. And I, I shared about this in the last episode. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Cause I, I shared more of my story and it, it'll help kind of paint a picture so that you can understand where I'm coming from now. So this class was taught by the author of the book that we've been studying. He made a point where he he said, whatever we resist, not only persists, but magnifies. And whatever we embrace becomes our ally, our teacher, and our healer. So he started off by saying that. And then he asked for a volunteer in the room who was willing to do an exercise with him. And before he even like picked somebody, I just had this feeling like I'm going to get picked. (laughs) I just had this feeling. <laughs> and what he did is he asked, he asked a question first. He said, do you have something that is holding you back? And if so, do you think it is something that if you share about it, the rest of the class would be able to benefit from? And then he asked everyone to think of someone in the class who you think might be a good candidate for this exercise. <laughs> <laughs> So then he asked for volunteers and I reluctantly was like, okay, I volunteer. Well, then (laughs) he opened it up and he asked, um, did anyone have anyone that they thought of that would be a good candidate for this exercise? And I, I think it was like six people all said my name. (laughs) So they, so they ended up picking me to do this exercise. Right. So what he did is he had me do a, well, first he asked me, what is it that I struggle with? And I said, my eating disorder. And he told me to get into a place where I just allowed myself to feel the feelings of the eating disorder. And he wanted me to describe what is it like to have an eating disorder. And so I was telling him, like, it's Mm -hmm. it's really hard. You know, it follows me everywhere. And it's so powerful. That voice in my head is so powerful. And like, I will have arguments with myself as I'm driving Mm -hmm. to the drive through that. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. And the whole way I'm arguing with myself up and to the point where I'm pulling into the drive through, still arguing with myself. And then after I've acted out, then I get the guilt and the shame feelings, you know? And so I got emotional when I was talking about this. Like I started crying talking about this Mm. and just talking about how like it's affected my mobility and my relationships and my jobs and every aspect of my life, it has played an impact on that. Right. So then he wanted me to name the eating disorder. So of course I named it Ed. And then he wanted me to do a role play where I was Ed. Mm. And he asked me a series of questions. So like the questions he asked, he asked, how long have you been with Josh? And so I was like, since he was a kid. And then he said, when do you most regularly show up for Josh? And I said, now remember I'm answering as Ed. I said Mm -hmm. um, that I show up when there's chaos in his life. Mm. And 
so then he asked me, what does it look like when you show up for Josh? And I said, I give him cravings to eat what he wants. I am relentless. I, you know, I constantly talk to him until he gives in and, you know, acts out in the food. And then he asked, what does, how does Josh respond to you? And I said, he fights me, he hates me, and he's always hated me. And so then he said, and this is where it shifted. He said, what do you do for Josh? Like, what is your purpose? And as Ed, I said, I want him to be happy. And so then he said, is it safe to say that you love Josh? And I was like, yes. And it was so bizarre, Steph, as he was asking me these questions, because it started to make me think of Ed as misguided, yes, but trying to help me mm. in some weird way, some misguided way. So then he asked, what qualities do you, Ed, have that would you say that you would say are positive qualities? So he wanted me to list out attributes of Ed that are positive. So for example, powerful. He's very powerful. He's consistent, very consistent, <laughs> persuasive, resilient. Mm -hmm. And at that point he said, is he loving? Like we just, we just talked about that. It's, is Ed loving? And I was like, yes, I get, I guess so. I mean, yeah. He had me then say like, what would you want? Like, what would you desire Josh to feel about you? And so I answered like, I, well, I want him to appreciate me. I want to feel appreciated because right now I just feel like he hates me. And so mm -hmm. then he had me do a role play like as my higher self, my soul self talking with Ed. And so it almost was like we came to this agreement that we would work together to try to help Josh rather than fight against each other. And I don't know if I'm explaining it in a way that was as profound as it was in the moment, but it blew my mind because I've never once thought of the eating disorder as a positive thing. Yeah. You know, but it, I tell you every time since then, when I've had a craving, I have thought about that. Mm. You know, and it's, like what goes through your mind now when you think about that? So, yes, I still get the cravings, right? But what goes through my mind now is that's just my eating disorder trying to do what it knows to help me. But instead of acting out in a way that's actually going to hurt me, I can acknowledge that it's trying to help me and then redirect it toward a more positive acting out, so to speak, to take action in a more positive, healthy way versus acting out in the food. Right. Like maybe realizing instead of having like something detrimental to your body, like having something that will get still get the job done and not hurt you. Right. And it doesn't even have to be like eating something. 
but it can be just ignored. Right. Just like just in the in the sh- right in the sheer moment of just like acknowledging that right now my eating disorder is doing what it knows to do, which is to try to give me comfort through food. But instead yeah. of acting out in the food, how can I redirect that energy to something more positive? You know, and so it's almost like I'm having a conversation with Ed and I'm be like, okay, now, Ed, I appreciate you. I know you're trying to help me here. I know you want me to go and eat all of the Taco Bell. <laughs> but, you know, let's do something different instead. What can, what can we do different that's more productive? And it's like, I know it sounds crazy, but to have that kind of like moment of acknowledging Ed instead of just fighting, constantly fighting it so then like after going through this whole thing he again he went back to that quote which was basically that whatever we resist not only persists but magnifies so if i'm fighting against my disease constantly it's not going to go away it only magnifies it but Mm -hmm. if we learn to embrace the thing that's challenging us it can become our ally our teacher and our healer it's kind of um, like the the examples, like in the role play, really reminded me of like, kind of reminded me of like my parents or my mom, like like an enabler in my life, just like just wanting so badly for me to be happy, and the only way that 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 happened was like through self soothing. Uh, with sugar and food and your your story also reminded me of like it kind of reminded me of like inner child work like it well, felt like yeah. your your small like your little kid when your eating disorder started uh was talking to um it, it kind of reminded me of those two-way prayers that we would do in treatment where we would like mm-hmm. send a letter to our body and our body would send us a letter back and our body would be like, why do you hate me so much? I love you so much. And I'm just trying to help you, but you keep on abusing me. And it's like, you don't realize how the other side feels like, like for me, I never realized um, how like terrible I really did treat my body verbally physically and emotionally and how my words and like in my I guess my mind was just so brutally like terrible <laughs> to my my body um cutting it down again and again and again and I guess I never I never really thought about it in the perspective of my um my eating disorder with, you know, showing a bit more understanding, love and kindness, but also not, you know, becoming a doormat and letting them do what they want. But, you know, coming together and saying, we we both want me to be happy. So this is the way to do it. We don't right. have to do it like that anymore. Right. We're not. We don't have to soothe like that anymore. We, he did have me do 
some inner child work too. So he wanted me as my higher self to talk to my inner child, Mm. you know, and, and he had me say like, what would you say to your inner child? And, you know, I, I, I said like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're not Mm -hmm. alone and it's going to be okay. And I just, I don't know. I feel like I'm not even describing it in a way that makes it as profound of an experience as it was for me. I wish I could, but it was so powerful. Well, I think that's what an experience is about, though. It's like the profound experience that you had is like you'll never be able to. I don't think you'll ever be able to like recapture that for anyone else because it happened to you and it happened for you. Well, and not only did it happen for me, but like the people who were in the class with me, you know, a number of them were like, wow, that was really powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like it, it was, I don't know. It was just, it was such a unique experience. And I think the thing that really just struck me about it was I just have never, ever thought of my eating disorder in a positive way. It has always been that thing that I have hated my whole life. You know, I have had such immense hatred for my eating disorder and just wishing it wasn't there. But to think that it in some weird way, misguided way is there to try to help me blew my mind. Because here I've been all along thinking that it just wants me dead, which it is killing me. I don't want to, I don't want to imply that it's not trying to kill me, but I think that at the core of it, the whole reason why my eating disorder even came to be was as a way to protect me. Right. In some way. And that was the only thing at the time because I developed my eating disorder when I was probably, I don't even know, eight eight years old, maybe even earlier, you know? And I feel like I don't necessarily know what prompted it, but, you know, I think something something had to have prompted it. And I think it was just there to try to help me cope with, you know, stress or I don't know, you know, because I, I did go through when I was a child, I went through, you know, like I, I my my parents and I have a great relationship now, but when I was a kid, they, they fought all the time. It was a very, very stressful living environment, you know? Yeah. The first, especially the first 10 years of my life, they fought all the time. And so there was just a lot of like walking on eggshells and mm-hmm. tension in the house and just not a, it wasn't a very good environment. That's what it was like for me going to my, cause my parents got divorced when I was still a baby and I never experienced them being nasty to each other, but I always experienced every time I went to my dad's house. And for the first like 12 years of my life, um, my dad would have me like every other weekend and like on school breaks and stuff and just going over there. And then like also my stepdad has been in my life since I was two. So Going from my mom and stepdad's house, which was all very like structured somewhat, you know, there was not any raised 
voices or yelling. I mean, they love me very much and not to say my dad and grandparents don't love me, but that, oh, I hope they don't watch this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, I'm worried. I'm worried. I hope my parents don't watch this. Hi, mom. Well, like <laughs> just going from like my mom's house and then going to my dad's house, which also meant my grandma's house because they there would be a lot of periods of time where my dad would live with my grandma and grandpa. And then my dad would live on his own for a bit. But uh, he and my stepmom at the time would uh, fight so terribly. Oh, my God. Like, it never got physical, but it was the kind of fighting where it was just so ferocious and angry that you thought at any moment it was going to get physical, that there was going to be some type of abuse happening. I mean, there was certainly verbal abuse and attacking in that way, but... It's, I'm just honestly with the way that my dad always talked to me and his family and his former spouses and, and just everyone in his life that I'm, I'm surprised he was not a physical person with us because the way that he, like his body language and, and his voice and his condescension, like always felt like he was this close from just, you know, really giving it to you i was gonna say i think because my dad was the same way yeah and i i've realized now that i'm getting older that i think and i don't know this for a fact you know it's not something we've discussed but i just have a feeling that some of how he acted came from how he was treated as a kid yeah you know and I hurt mean, people hurt people so i think there was some of that going on yeah, my, my grandparents, like, same thing. They would just have screaming matches. So if I wasn't at my dad's house, like, I know when my dad moved to Tennessee with my my current stepmom um, and my brother, they moved to Tennessee for a while, and I would see him on and off and stuff, but I would still go over to my grandparents' house who's, when they still lived here in Florida, and me and my cousin would go over there a lot, um, and it would just turn into like, we would just be sitting in our, our shared bedroom that we had in their house and just hear them like absolutely screaming at each other. And my grandmother, like, you know, just yelling and screaming and my grandpa screaming. And then my grandma, like, you know, saying just very harmful things for us kids to hear mm -hmm. of like, well, no, um, I might as well just die Nobody wants me around uh, and, you know, she's handicapped and she's like getting her keys and she's zooming towards the door and she's angry and upset. It's dark outside. She's trying to get into her van and I'm scared to death. She's going to be reckless. And this was like when I was probably like 10 or 11, maybe 13. And I'm like, please don't go or let me come with you so you don't mm -hmm. do anything bad uh, <laughs> and so that nothing happens to you. Um, just, just a lot of anger and so much tension. And like you said, walking on eggshells, that's all I did when I'd go over there. And my, not to mention that my family all around, we're a bunch of eaters. We love to eat. Oh, we yeah. love the sugar. So that on top of the stress, on top of like the anxiety and the eggshell walking and, you know, all of that, it became an environment of 
like definitely self-soothing. Oh, like, for sure. oh my God. Same. And it carries over like into the people pleasing today. Like I'm really yes. good about reading people. What I mean by that is I can tell if somebody and that it's even so good that they may or may not even feel this way. But in my mind, I perceive them as, oh, something's wrong. What's going on? Let me go fix them. I'm Captain fix a Yes. Let me tell you, I love to go and make <laughs> everybody feel better. <laughs> and exactly. if I even sense that you're having a bad day, what can I do to cheer you up? I want to help. you. Yeah. Oh. oh, my God. You know what? Like how full circle this is, is that like when I was a kid, my family wanted to to get me to go to like a doctor's appointment or to do something I didn't want to do, like get like a booster shot or something for school or for my health records or something. And my mom would always entice me with this stuff by saying, we'll go to McDonald's after or you'll get a treat or like some type of food thing from it. And now with me having gone through all of that, I try to, I I do the same thing to my brothers and to, mm. and to my mom and my stepdad as like, I think I'm trying to like buy their love. And I've talked with my therapist about this, like, Hey Ginger, um, <laughs> I've talked, I've talked about this with her a lot about how I try to buy my brother's love where like, he'll be, he's just been in a lot of like emotional and physical pain lately. So I've been like getting his favorite ice cream at the store. I get my brother's like the foods that they like. And it's a bunch of junk, a bunch of stuff that is triggering to me. And I'm like, I can handle it. I, it's fine. And usually it is. Uh, but like just, it's just the, the act of like soothing them and making them feel better with food. It's like, Wow like this is what was done to me and this is why i am the way i am yep. why i want a treat all the time like i do the same thing though i i think it's because we've been programmed yes and, and like i don't even listen my parents were not perfect and yeah. i don't even blame them like i feel like they did the best that they knew how to do they're human yeah like or one thing that i learned in this class that I took, um, they talked about how we carry these wounds with us. So like when we're young, somebody pokes us with a stick and it, it's something that wounds us, right? Well then rather than taking the stick out, we leave the stick in and we put wrapping around it and we protect, we, we protect our stick. We don't want anyone to bump into our stick because if they bump our stick, it's going to hurt. Ow. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then <laughs> something else happens and somebody else pokes us with a stick in this arm. So now we got two sticks and we're protecting all of our sticks, right? Then we're a fucking porcupine. <laughs> and we go through life with all these sticks sticking out of us and we keep people at a distance because we don't want them to bump our stick because it's going to hurt. It's going to bring up those old wounds again. And that is when people hurt us, that is how we, how we get through life with those injuries. Most of us. And so forgiveness is the act of pulling the stick out. Mm, and it's not even yeah. about the other person in many cases, because it's, it's not to say that the things that hurt us in many cases are legitimate. You know, like my dad, while he's in many ways, a great guy, he did some things that were 
emotionally abusive. Yeah. Ver- verbally Same. abusive, you know? And I'm sure that he probably did what he knew to do based on what was done to him. And it's a cycle that just keeps repeating. But I'm grateful for, in a way, like I'm grateful for the experience that I've had through my eating disorder because it's led me to an opportunity to be able to learn all these things about myself that I wouldn't have otherwise known. And, you know, I'm far from perfect. I'm far from perfect. (laughs) But through this spiritual journey that I've been on, I'm trying to find a more healthy way of living and coping with things. So like going back to what I was talking about earlier with this crazy summer that I've been through, I have some really big lessons that I'm really grateful for that have come from that, you know, and I wouldn't have experienced that. I wouldn't, I don't think that I would be in this living situation that I'm in now had it not been for the AC going out in my old place. Exactly. And then when I moved into the second place, I still wouldn't have ended up here had it not been for that and the rat situation. So in the middle of that, it was fucking depressing. I did not handle it with grace. Let me tell you, I was, there was a week there where I was miserable and I didn't go to church for the, I didn't go to the class that week and they've been having us do these prayer partners. So we call once a week and we pray on the phone with, with uh, our prayer partner. And I had called my prayer partner. All right. No, no. I texted her and said I wasn't going to come to class. And so she, she texted me and she called me out on my shit. She was like, she goes, um, well, did you feel better by missing class? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no. So then she was like, well, um, maybe next time. Come to class. <laughs> I was like, okay, yes, that's ma'am. So funny. That's 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 what I would hear at like a meeting or like in treatments. Like, so did it feel better to not call your sponsor and right. to not go to a meeting? Yeah. Did it feel? Do you feel better now? <laughs> exactly. It's like I know what the solution is, right? But when I'm so caught up in the middle of it, it's really hard sometimes to get back into the spiritual side of things. So it's, it's more than just the thought of, or making the decision that I want to do something to connect spiritually or to put myself in a better frame of mind. It's also, it requires taking action. So what I've been practicing is every morning setting aside even just a few minutes of time to just quiet my thoughts and connect you know, connect Mm -hmm. to that spiritual energy um, and sit in a moment of gratitude. You know, I believe in like multiple paths to God. So whatever church or religion or whatever it is that, you know, works for you, I, I'm open and, uh, you know, open to all of that. Um, And I also think that what works for you may not work for me and that's okay too. But I, I, I do say that I am trying to make a conscious effort to, to connect to that energy and to sit in a place of gratitude and to put that out into the world, you know? Well, that's step 11. Yeah, exactly. And it's very easy. Again, I told you, I'm a gay guy. I love to bitch and moan and complain. <laughs> it's very easy to get stuck in that when I'm like not getting my way or if I feel put off by something. 
Yeah. But to be in a place of gratitude instead and to be putting that kind of energy out into the world instead of gossip and judgment and anger yeah. and all of that, all of those negative emotions, you know, um, that's what I'm trying to practice today. And like our podcast, one of the things that I love about it is that we talk about a whole range of topics. Yeah. But I, this is something that I'm going through in like my day-to-day life right now. And this is a a practice that I'm trying to implement. And so I wanted to come on here and talk about it, not to scare anyone off, you know, but just to kind of share my experience because I, at the end of the day, I want to, I want to help people. I want to entertain people. I love making people laugh. One of the things that we did in our class is we had to talk about, um, or we had to come up with like, what is our soul's purpose? That's mm. a big question. That's a very loaded yeah. question. Yeah, it is like, a loaded what is potato of a question. Exactly. Full of sour cream and butter and all the... And chives all, and bacon. All the fixings. Bacon bits. All, mm. all the fixings. Butter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it's... When I sat and thought, like, what, they had us do this meditation where we had to sit and think about experiences in our lives that brought us fulfillment and joy. My dream since I was a kid was to be a radio DJ. I wanted to be a talk show, like a talk radio DJ. In fact, I used to, (laughs) this is, I can't believe I'm admitting this. When I was a kid, I used to practice with my, I had a little CD player and I had all these different CDs like the Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears and all these different people. And I would practice talking over the beginning part of the song (laughs) (laughs) and timing it in such a way that I would just stop talking right when the singer started singing because I wanted to be a DJ. I really wanted to be a DJ. And then I don't remember what happened, but somehow we went and visited one of the local radio stations on a weekend and they were recording the morning show on a weekend, even though they don't normally do it. They were pre-recording it to play later in the week. And Mm. so they let us come on the air and they asked me a few questions. And um, I remember telling them that I wanted to be a radio DJ. Like I was like, I want to do this. I love this. So I've always had an interest in it. I've always wanted to pursue entertainment, but I've always been scared to. Because I've been afraid of not being able to make a living at it or whatever, you know, like what if I fail yeah. or what if I can't make money at it or whatever. So I don't know. I would love to see this podcast blow up and become like really successful. I would love to be able to make a living doing this. Yeah. You know, I even went as far as to look and see if I could find like local radio station jobs in the area. Like even if I did like a part time weekend thing or something, you know. I think that would be, I think you are a really good, like, radio host personality uh, that you have, like, the vibe for that. And, and you're very technologically intelligent and savvy. Thank you. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of what we wanted to do as kids, <laughs> guess what my, guess what I wanted to be as a kid? Did you want to be a chef? <laughs> no a baker bitch oh, <laughs> no right, right. just yeah. kidding just kidding <laughs> hold um, on let me, let me guess for real okay 
I think you wanted to be, this is when you were a kid, right? Yeah. Hmm. And into my teenage years. I think you wanted to be a marine biologist. Why? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, um, I've always, <laughs> so <laughs> this is hilarious because of the beginning of our episode. Uh, but I've always wanted to be a singer. <laughs> <laughs> I love that for you. I was a pop star one year for Halloween and yeah. I was so annoyed because the way that like, cause I had, uh, you know, those old fashioned, like Britney Spears microphones where it was like around her ear and it had like the mic piece right here. <laughs> like yeah. I had one of those and like this all like white kind of like jumpsuit sort of thing. And I was so fucking angry because everybody that I went, everyone's houses that I went knocking on for Halloween all kept saying, Oh, it's a little Elvis Presley. And I was so pissed off. <laughs> I don't know why. I was just so pissed off. I'm like, no, I'm Hannah Montana. <laughs> I love that you were giving masculine vibes even as a kid. I know. Well, girl, let me tell you, my dad was not so happy about my tomboy vibes when I was a kid. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. He like would, um, I don't know if accuse is the right word, but he kept on like calling me a dyke when I was a kid. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It was quite uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say so. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. See, for me, I had a gay younger brother. So anytime, this is so bad. I'm going to hell. You, kinda, you had someone else to like blame, blame stuff it on. on. <laughs> yeah. Anytime they found gay porn on the computer, Ben. ben. Have you been on the computer, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the worst. Oh my God. My parents are ruthless. You want to hear some shit. So I've got two younger brothers. The youngest is also gay. The middle one is the straight one. Yeah. He's got twice as many gay brothers as I do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, he got caught watching porn. Straight porn, of course, because, you know, he's straight. And so my mom and dad made him watch the porn with them in the room. Oh, my God. On the porn. So my mom is like. Do you like it when she does that to him? <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. It would scar me for life. That is trauma. I know. <laughs> Do you like it when he does that to her? Do you like the noises she's making? <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's abuse. That's abuse. <laughs> I know. How old was he? I don't know. He wasn't that old. Teenager. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? No. I'm uncomfortable watching people make out on TV with my parents in the room. Oh, girl, same. I went and saw... Have you ever seen Black Swan? No, but that's where they do gay shit, right? Yes. Mila Kunis. And I went and saw that with my parents. I was uncomfortable. 
uncomfortable. I was very uncomfortable. Yeah. I did Gay not approve. Stuff. Yeah. Gay stuff. <laughs> yeah. I also had a girlfriend when the movie Brokeback Ew. Mountain came out. I know. Oh. <laughs> and I really wanted to go see Brokeback Mountain, but I didn't want it to be obvious because I was still very securely in the closet. Yeah. And then my girlfriend was like, you know, I really kind of want to see Brokeback Mountain. And I was like, like you do. Oh, I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess if you want to go see it, I'll go see it. But inside I'm like, yes, I want to see it. <laughs> oh, that was such a great movie. It's like being playing it off like all casual and nonchalant. Like, yeah, if yeah. you want to see well, it, I mean, you can. I, In I, your head, it's like, I guess yes. if you want to see it. Totally. <laughs> I was so thrilled. <laughs> yeah. And then I had to watch Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal go at it yeah. with my girlfriend right there. It feels so weird to hear you say your girlfriend. I know. It was it's unnatural. Weird. Uh, it was, yeah. They think it's unnatural for us to love who we love, but it really is unnatural for you to be well, with a woman. <laughs> there's documentation. Like, if you go back and watch oh. my intervention episode. Your girlfriend's she was there? The one who, yeah, she was the one who prompted the whole intervention. Really? Yeah. We had broken up at that point, but she um, she contacted, I guess, the producers somehow. I don't know. Wow. So she was very much a part of it. She was there at the intervention. She read a letter. It was a whole big deal. I mean, I think it shows that she really cared about you, even after you guys had broken up. You she know. did. And I, I feel bad, you know, because I never intended on hurting her. Yeah. I don't think that's your fault. I was trying to do, you know, the the whole religious. Remember, I told you I was raised in a cult. So it was very much, it was very much the thing, like, you know, get married, have kids. Like I was trying yeah. to do the whole church thing, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's just how we grow up. Like it's, it's the whole like finding ourselves an identity crisis sort of thing, trial and error of like what works for you. And like that, that was just like something that you thought you had to do because of society. And you were afraid to come out. Even with having a gay brother, like like as you said in in your in your life, that doesn't take away from the fact that it's fucking terrifying. Oh yeah, I was terrified. And I you know, I really never dreamed that I would come out. I I sincerely think that I've been that I I know that I've liked girls because I, I've been so close with my my female friends. Since I was little, like in classes and being like hyper fixated on mm. on my girl best friends and like just wanting right. always to be close with them and like affectionate and stuff and uh, wanting to be around them and, and all that, all that gay stuff. But then still being convinced that like kind of like you where I thought that it's not possible for me to be with a girl. So I have to just accept being with a guy someday and I can relate to that. It was just something that I was trying to force myself into. Plus, as I mentioned the stuff with my dad and my grandparents, I also have religious trauma and with them, how, 
how vocal they would be sometimes about gay people and trans people mm-hmm. and all of the slurs my dad would casually say not only about me but about like just people in general he would drop the f slur all the time and he he was just a very problematic man but um he with all the things that he and my grandparents would say it made me hate that mm-hmm. it made me feel very uncomfortable and it made me terrified of giving in or accepting who i truly am so it took right. me a bit longer to truly come out and say be able to be comfortable and say this is who i am and i don't ever want to turn back same i was 22 when i came out me too that's when i was at treatment i was 22 i came out in treatment too well let me clarify so Your i first came treatment. out first yeah the first time <laughs> <laughs> she's been around the block <laughs> <laughs> so I first came out to my coworker. She was the first person that I ever told. And even her, I didn't tell that I was gay. I told her I was bisexual. Cause it's safer. <laughs> it totally was. Cause I had, I still had my girlfriend at that point. We were still together. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking to the point where like on my desktop at my computer at work, the wallpaper was me and my girlfriend. Oh my God. <laughs> Trying to oh, convince yeah. everybody. Everybody. <laughs> Hi, look how straight I am. <laughs> this is my girlfriend. Did you have your, when you sat down at your desk too, did you have your legs wide open like a typical oh, straight yes. man? Like, oh, yes. look at my girlfriend. Yeah, let me adjust my nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go fishing and watch some football. I was just yeah. going to say, let's go to Pro Bass. <laughs> Best pro Best shops. Pro shops. <laughs> Let's wear camouflage and, yeah, and watch the O'Hannity yeah, channel. <laughs> oh my god, it was. Uh, I wasn't quite that like <laughs> that extreme, but uh, I definitely was in the closet for sure. So then, when I came to Florida to go to treatment, I remember on the airplane, on the way here, looking out the window and saying to myself. I cannot come out. Like I will go to the grave with that secret. I did the same. I literally had that thought. Like I will go to the grave with that. So then (laughs) I get into treatment and my therapist, his name was Hans. (laughs) Hans. (laughs) Hans sits down with me and does like an intake. Now remember because I was on the TV show, they hadn't done like an intake with me over the phone. Like most people who go to treatment, they do like an intake with you over the phone before you go. That hadn't happened because it was sprung on me. I didn't know I was going to treatment until the day, the minute I went to treatment. So it was great. Right. You're kind of all in told. Yeah, exactly. It was like, uh, we're going to the airport. Your bag is already packed. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, noted. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. (laughs) All right. Going for a little vacay. Exactly. So I get there and they're going through and asking all these questions. And Hans asked me, are you straight, gay or bi? And I'm like, oh, I'm straight. No, I'm bi. I'm, I'm actually bi. I'm bisexual. <laughs> I'm bi. So that was the first time that I'd come out to anyone outside of my coworker. 
And then as I was going through the treatment process, I was in um, a trauma group for, you know, some trauma that I experienced when I was a kid, you know, being bullied and whatnot. And um, as I started to open up and share more about my experience and about the church that I was raised in and everything, I um, ended up getting honest and saying that I was gay. Well, then back then, I don't know if they still do this, but back then they would do family weekend and family weekend would be where the family would come for the weekend and they would do group with your family. Right. (laughs) So my mom flies down and Hans told me, do not, do not. I don't suggest you coming out to your mom. I think you should wait. Oh, but I, in the uh, need to come clean with everything, right? just dumped, dumped it on my mom. And not only did I dump that on my mom, but I dumped some other stuff on my mom about some sexual trauma that had happened when I was young. And so oh, I just spilled everything. Yeah. And my mom was just like, I think she was just so overwhelmed and caught off yeah. guard and somehow didn't know i don't know how she didn't know but they oh, i know they say that it's, but it's because you know. i would go to the bass pro shops all the time that's why she didn't know <laughs> yeah. I was, and i watched sports all the time yeah you watched sports you had a girlfriend for a while yeah, um I, one girlfriend i um, just exuded nothing but the most masculine masculine yeah it was just yeah i was dripping testosterone from every every orifice from every orifice (laughs) from all the places the guys that you had sex with (laughs) no i wasn't very sexually active at that point it wasn't until after i came out that i became a whore oh when how old were you when you had sex with a guy for the first time consensually uh 14 okay wait was that the time where it it hurt like a mother because you didn't know about lubrication. Yes. Oh Absolutely. man. What was the first pleasurable sexual experience you had? Well, so I had an experience when I was in high school with a fellow student, but that was just like foreplay. There was no anal sex. Oh, okay. It was just fooling around. Um, the first yeah, I didn't have like I didn't I didn't start having like full on sex until uh after I came out. Yeah, I think I was like 22, 23. I went through a horror phase at that point for sure. Um and I'm not proud of it cuz I put myself in Why some not? situations that were less oh, okay. than uh less than it was less than question questionable. They were like safety wise. Safety wise. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I put myself. Okay. So can I tell you, I have a story. Yeah. Story time. (laughs) Story time. So let me paint a picture for you. I lived at the time in Texas, in the Dallas area. And I had met this guy online and I drove like an hour and a half to go visit this guy. and. He lived out in the middle of nowhere. I'm talking like this was like a scene from a movie. It was like a big empty field with a random house in the middle of it. 
No. And like a couple, a couple of trees. And I get there and I go down the driveway. I get out of my car and I'm walking up to the house and right by the front door, there was this giant pig. <laughs> okay. Like enormous. Now I didn't know this, but apparently farm animals like pigs and horses, you know how they have hooves? Yeah. Well, if you don't hooves. trim if you if you don't trim the hooves, they grow like fingernails. Oh. And so this pig, this poor pig, they had not taken care of it, and so the hooves had grown out and they were like curled. Like I oh, don't think no. this pig could even walk on his feet because of these hooves not being trimmed. Right. So anyway, that was the first sign that I should have ran. The first red flag. So I knock on the door. He comes and lets me in. I walk inside and it's like this hoarder's house. I'm talking like a trail going from the front door back to his room with shit everywhere. And like, I mean, horrible, like from the mood, like what you would see on TV, the hoarder show from like the hoarder everywhere. Show. So I go back into his room and the first thing I notice is that there's a rifle on the bed. Oh, man. Just out on the bed. Yeah, that was my thought, too. Oh, oh God. What have I gotten myself into? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, um, that doesn't nice look gun. like a butt plug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Does it vibrate? <laughs> I don't want those shot loads in me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So anyway, I'm like, um, nice gun. <laughs> like what do you say to that right right so i'm like i like your gun anyway so um he was like yeah i wondered if you were gonna say anything about that like okay excuse um, me you're not making me feel any better about the situation but okay right. now, this guy was supposedly straight right hadn't oh wasn't a DL. Out at all it, very much dl so we, I sit down on his bed. Now, mind you, every every nerve in my body, every voice in my head, every, all the alarms are sounding. Like, get out, abort mission. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. get the fuck out. But he's got a gun on the bed. So I, I didn't, and I was pretty inexperienced still at this point. Yeah. So I didn't know what the fuck to do. And I didn't want to piss him off because I didn't want right. him to fucking shoot me. So yeah. I sit down and we're watching TV and, you know, like that awkward, like, are we going to do anything? Are we not going to do anything? Like, right. it was just, but also, like, is he going to kill me? Like, so, you know, <laughs> awkward. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so we're sitting there watching TV and then he was like, so do you want to... Like for shooting off. practice oh. so no thank, thank God. well he did shoot but it's different anyway um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh yeah so a uh, different gun anyway um, <laughs> so uh, i i went ahead and did did the uh did the deed and then after he was finished he was like okay well i've got stuff to do which was basically like you know get out and yeah. I, I happily, happily obliged. Yeah. Yeah. And I drove, drove away from there very quickly. 
And I was like, oh my God, I will never do that again. But then yeah. I also put myself in dumb situations after that too. So, you know. <laughs> so it didn't really work. <laughs> but that was the by far the craziest. That was well, the craziest for sure. Yeah, that that is terrifying. And you're it very really was. lucky. I very am. Lucky. I don't. Oh, first of all, I do not condone what I did by any means. And now... I've gotten like I'm I may present as being whorish, but I'm really not. Like you're I really don't not. go and sleep around. I'm really like not. Like your personality is horror, but your actions are not. Right. I give off horror vibes. Yeah, and that's what I love. And I you know tell. that's not to say there's anything good or bad about people who are horrors or you know, sluts. I love sluts. I I self-proclaim as a slut whore, but I've never had sex. Right. So I, I am very sex positive. You know, like I'm I, very as sex long positive. as you're not hurting someone with what you're doing. Yeah, I am all for it. You know, mm-hmm. Um, I just for me personally, I it's hard to trust people, you know, when it comes to sex and. I don't want to put myself in an unsafe situation for me anymore. Like as I've gotten older, I have started to respect myself more. Um, And so if I'm not comfortable with the situation, I don't have a problem leaving it, you know, but early on when I was first exploring sexually, I found myself in situations where like I was catfished a couple of times Mm -hmm. and I still followed through having sex, even though I was not at all attracted to these people. Mm. You know, they very clearly <laughs> deceived me on yeah. who they presented themselves as being. And like, I guess the people pleaser in me was like, well, you've, you already drove over here. <laughs> you're you're well. already there. You might as well. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, in hindsight, it was horrible, you know, because then I would feel kind of like with the acting out with the food, Right. I would feel shame afterward, you know, like there was this one situation where this guy came over, his photo was this hot, like Amber Crombie and Fitch style model looking dude, like hot. What showed up was this middle-aged bigger guy with oh a micro penis, like not <laughs> at all what was presented to me. Yeah. <laughs> and um, did I send him away? No, no. I absolutely did not. <laughs> I got up close and personal with that micro penis and I, I regretted it afterward. I very much regret it because like I, sh- I shouldn't have, like I should have been able to stand up for myself and be like, I'm sorry. But, right. Um, I, I was going to say like, I think that's a matter of like your growth and like developing self-esteem. And I think this is especially true for us people who are in the LGBTQ plus community is that we think we have to settle because there's not a lot of us out there when that's simply not true. But it's like when you find someone who is gay and like willing (laughs) in your area, it's like, Oh, I I have to jump on this right away. And literally this is never going to happen again. And in my experience, I have just come to the conclusion from, even though I've been told this millions of times by my friends, my therapist, my mom, <laughs> is that uh, I am allowed to be choosy and picky about girls. And that goes back to 
my self-esteem of me thinking if there's mutual attraction between me and a girl, I should count myself lucky because that just goes to how bad I I feel about myself and and how badly I was treated with mm-hmm. thinking that it's an honor if anyone likes me and I should just settle for it, even if it's not exactly what I want. And right. recently I kind of, well, you know, I, I just, I'm becoming more confident in, in my, myself and what I want and being choosy and also, I think it's really cool about uh, this whole like fact of like not settling. Like, I don't want to settle for anything. Um, and it's allowing me to really find for myself what I really want out of mm-hmm. life and in a life partner. Like, do I want someone who's going to like be like this or do this or have this like for personality or, you know, morals, ethics, political views, like it all, it's all like a, a trial and error game of finding out who I am and who I want to be with kind of, I think reflects like what values I hold for myself. Oh, for sure. And I think that was a lesson that took me a long time to learn because I wasn't always this way. And I stayed in a, a relationship that had a lot of toxic traits yeah. to it because I felt like I wasn't worthy of anyone else's love. And I felt like that was the best I could get. And I just didn't have any self-esteem at that point. So for me, I was, I was staying in a situation that while I wasn't happy, I felt like, well, this is better than nothing at all. But in hindsight, I think I hurt myself more by staying in that than I would have if I had allowed myself to grieve it and move on from it. I think I'm just now on this journey of like learning to love myself. Yeah. And I'm really late to the party on that, you know? I say you're just on time. Well, yeah, I'm, I am. I'm on God's time. There is no, I like, at least it's better now than never. But like, that's one of those soul lessons that I feel like over and over and over, I've been put into situations where it's like trying to teach me to learn how to love myself. And that concept for me for so long has been so foreign. Like, what does it mean to love myself? Like, I don't even know what that means. And like trying to achieve it in ways that were not, because there are a lot of things for me where I thought I was loving myself by being selfless but really just letting people walk all over me and being like a people pleaser right exactly so sometimes loving myself means standing up for myself and and setting boundaries with people and sometimes Mm -hmm. loving myself means doing things that i don't want to do like Mm -hmm. going to the gym or eating a salad (laughs) i don't want to eat salad but that's the (laughs) loving thing to do you know what I mean? Like that sometimes it it means doing that or sometimes it means setting up a doctor's appointment when I really don't want to. Yeah. You know, taking self esteemable acts yes. to take care of myself is loving myself. I am loving myself by cleaning out my car. 
I have not cleaned out my car yet, but I'm manifesting it. But, you know, just just as an example that I am loving myself by picking up the clothes on my floor and putting it in my laundry basket for me to put in the washer. Well, I need to hear that, too. Do you see this blurry background behind me? That is only there (laughs) because of the chaos that is behind me. You know, I'm still unpacking from moving, but that's, you know, I've been moved in now for two weeks and it's still a disaster. So (laughs) anyway, you know, I'm a work in progress. That's the other thing is, you know, I want to find some balance between, you know, taking action to like better myself and show myself love, but also have grace with myself that I don't have to do it perfectly and I don't have to do it overnight, you know? Mm hmm. So I am a work in progress. We all are. Absolutely. I think that is a perfect spot to wrap up this conversation. So thank you so much, Steph. I appreciate you always. I really do. You are one of my very best friends and I uh, just appreciate everything you do for me. And for those of you listening, I want to thank you also for taking the time to listen to this conversation. And I hope it's, you know, been meaningful for you as well. And if you haven't, please go and visit our YouTube channel where you can see our lovely faces. Uh, We are on YouTube at Unhinged Unicorns. And then, of course, our podcast is available (laughs) on any major platform streaming. Any major. Oh, my God. Any. um, Our podcast (laughs) is available. Fuck me. Anywhere you can get podcasts. Anywhere that you can find podcasts for a lesson I or available. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. Google We're on YouTube Podcast. where we have the video. Google. Anywhere that you can find podcasts. We're there. And on top of that, this is something we have not done enough uh promoting, but we also have a Patreon page. So if That's you right. want to Extras. support us. You can sign up to get bonus content on our Patreon page. And we do post additional content. Not every episode has additional content, but uh, the ones that do, we post it there. And you can access it by signing up to support our podcast. Well, that is it for now. Thank you so much for listening. I hope wherever you're at that you're having a wonderful day. Be kind to one another. And we will see you next time. If you like this episode and want to hear more, please visit our website at unhingedunicorns.com. You can also support this podcast and access member-only content by visiting patreon.com forward slash unhingedunicorns.